You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy Podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. The Future of Pharmacy Podcast is brought to you by OmniCell. Now here's our host, Ken Perez. Hi everyone, I'm Ken Perez. Thanks for joining us. I'm very excited about today's guest who offers a fresh and unique perspective about medication management for a core audience of pharmacy leaders. We're joined today by Dr. Patrick Guffey, who plays a number of different roles as Chief Medical Information Officer at Children's Hospital Colorado, as Performance Improvement and Informatics Officer, and as an anesthesiologist with a very busy practice. Dr. Guffey, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ken, for having me today. Looking forward to a great conversation. It's great to have you. Thank you. Let's start by discussing your different roles. Tell us about them. Sure. So at Children's Colorado, I serve as a Chief Medical Information Officer and have a primary responsibility for much of the content and workflows and how we use our electronic health record and all of the associated technical systems that go with that. In the performance improvement informatics domain, that's uh, part of the Department of Anesthesiology and I'm responsible for that across uh, the overall Department of Anesthesiology for the University of Colorado. I practice as a pediatric anesthesiologist and also have recently been appointed to the Board of Directors for the Anesthesia Quality Institute. In that uh, role prior to it, I served as the uh, committee chair for the Anesthesia Incident Reporting System which is the first specialty-specific reporting system in the nation, which collects uh, information and case reports for adverse events across the field of anesthesiology. You are a busy guy. (laughs) Now, our audience members know and appreciate that the OR environment is a very dynamic and unique setting. Uh, It's where critical medications are drawn up and administered. It's where any number of narcotics are administered and stored. But it may come as a surprise that roughly half of our nation's hospitals have yet to fully deploy automation in their OR and procedural areas. And that lack of automation in such a critical setting can have a number of significant implications. Dr. Guffey, take us into one of those manual OR settings. What does that look like? Well, it's the days of uh, taking your bag of drugs around in a fanny pack. Uh, It's the first time I ever entered an operating room Uh, back in training before we had automation and it's still like that many places across the country so in some organizations you would go to a central pharmacy and either get a ziploc bag full of drugs and uh, like i said put it in your backpack or a fanny pack or you might pick up a lockbox that looks like something that you might see at a bank depository and then take that back and attach it to your manual anesthesia cart So that's kind of the first issue. How do you get the drugs? And then you're obviously limited by the supply of what you can fit in that Ziploc bag or in that lockbox or Tupperware container. It's a little bit different everywhere, but doesn't doesn't exactly uh, speak to the uh, technological world that we live in. So once you get that back to the room with your kind of limited supply, you then have to dole that out on a per patient basis uh, and track it. So let's say you're starting your first case of the day. You'd pull out the vials of narcotic that you need, draw it up, and then in most cases, you would then manually label it. So find a pen, get a Sharpie, pull some labeling tape off of a rack on the anesthesia cart, 
label those medications. Now, if it's a really complex case, for instance, and you don't have the drugs that you need in your bag, you might be taking a trip back to pharmacy to get additional medications and potentially waiting for them to prepare them. Because without some degree of automation, you're manually then asking the pharmacist to get that ready for you if it's one that they need to prepare or asking them to retrieve the vials from the shelves. So you do your, do your case, and then at the end of it, typically you'd pull out a piece of paper, record on there the patient's name, MRN, things like that, and then also what you gave, what you didn't give, calculated your waste, put your waste in the bag. Many times you had to label your waste on a per-patient basis, and then package that all up. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of documentation then that you have to complete manually on paper to accomplish all that. So it's really a, a fair amount of uh, steps. And then at the end of the day, you then have to go back and reconcile each of the patients against the total that you have that you took from the bag or the box and then return all of that back to Central Pharmacy. So that can be a lot of work. Like imagine if you had a busy day with 10 patients going through and then re-reconciling all of those 10 patients and making sure all of the totals add up and you're returning the appropriate amount of narcotic and making sure that the right amount went to each patient throughout the process. So really a lot of work and uh, actually a lot of opportunity for mistakes with that process. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that really vivid and uh, detailed description of the manual medication workflow. You have a really good comprehensive understanding of it. So what are the potential safety gaps for providers and patients with that manual medication workflow? So the first one is, let's say that you don't have great accessibility to all of the narcotics you need, there might be a delay in getting the drugs that you need. Uh, so if you can plan ahead, that's great, but sometimes the patient doesn't you know, read the textbook and you get in a clinical situation that you weren't expecting. So at that point, if you don't have all the drugs you need and they're accessible, then you've got a potential safety issue or you're maybe not using the drug that you'd like to, you're using the drug that you have. The second thing to run into is we talked about labeling and all of those manual labeling steps. So that's another safety concern. And then the third one to talk about is really staff safety, if you will. These sorts of manual processes mean that your opportunities for diversion are significant because if you are recording all of this information manually without any automatic tracking, then there is a concern that that may make it a little bit easier to divert narcotics in a way that's not immediately detected. And when you can't detect that soon or fast, the result that can happen from there is twofold. One, the patient may not be getting the drugs that they need, which is highly concerning, or the anesthesiologist or anesthetist is at risk of harming themselves. So it's really up to all of us to work together to detect uh, diversion and to keep everybody in the process safe. As you can imagine with a manual process, detecting diversion is much harder. So I would say those are the three of the uh, biggest issues and safety that we face uh, with a manual process. Now in such a dynamic environment with cases coming one right after the other, what are the dangers of a manual OR environment? So really, this is a highly complex set of steps that need to be accomplished every time. So when I think of really the answer to your, to your question, the biggest issue is that a manual process has the potential 
for human error and is not typically what you might call a highly reliable process. And through proper application of technology, you can achieve a higher degree of reliability, which then translates to a higher degree of safety and potentially even um, outcomes, depending on what it is. So when you walk through, let's walk through the case and see what there is, right? So the first thing is you've got to organize and set up for each case and predict exactly what you need and make sure you get it from pharmacy. Next thing is you have to go through and manually label all of the information with the correct patient. You're going to then get the correct medication out of the bag of the cart, get the diluent, prepare it, prepare your paper label, make sure it's labeled appropriately with the correct label, match that up against the vial, and then administer the medication, document that, redundantly document that on the anesthesia record or in the EHR, and then process all of your return waste and reconciliation. So that's a lot of steps to get right every time without any help from technology. I mean, just think of some of adding up some of the drug doses. So typically, you know, many of us would have to pull out a calculator, for instance, and then go through or pull one up on your phone and go through and manually add all of this together and get it right. So like we talked about before, there's a lot of opportunity for error there uh, in this process. And also um, the dual documentation is something that's really important to focus on. Basically, I'm documenting all of these medications that I've given to all of these patients in my electronic health record or on my paper anesthesia record. And then I'm having to document all of that same information uh, on this paper form to make sure that the right drug is matched up with the right patient so that post-case reconciliation can be achieved. So with any manual process of this magnitude, I think the question I'd ask back to you would be, would you suspect that to be highly reliable or would you expect for human error to intervene? Well, I think the latter. So hospitals and health providers take numerous precautions to ensure that surgical procedures are safe and effective. So the question is, why do so many hospitals and anesthesiologists continue to practice in a non-automated medication management environment, given what you've described? So that's an excellent question and really something to consider and break out. So why don't people adopt technology is really one way to think of that at a very high level. And the first is that getting technology installed in an environment like this is a project. And it's one that requires an appropriate amount of education, change management, discussion, making sure everybody's comfortable, and really going through that. So with any change, there's a certain amount of fear. And we want to make sure that we mitigate that and work through it in a very, um, a very demonstrable way and really take those issues head on. The second thing, obviously, is an expense component. Any technology that you're putting in is going to carry a capital component, and that's going to carry also the cost of what it takes to install and integrate uh, that software. So that's always a consideration. And then really, the other part of this that more from a clinical standpoint is mitigating issues around access, right? So we've talked about before how having all of these drugs available to us in an anesthesia cart is certainly a benefit, but there's the potential fear around having all of your drugs in a, uh, man in a locked automated cart and really reassuring providers as to how this is going to help them, what the benefits are, and things like that are really important to take the time to do. 
breaking that down into a few examples, a automated cart, for instance, has a scanner and I can zap uh, a patient label, pull up a patient, and then I've got all of that done for me with much less of a chance for human error and it's much more efficient, for instance. I've got a lot more, I've got a lot better access to medications in that cart, so I'm not going back and forth the pharmacy, for instance. So those are a few ideas, but what it really comes down to is applying appropriate change management principles to kind of take the fear out of the equation and also working with your organization and your pharmacy department to take a look at the business case around this in terms of better uh, reconciliation, inventory control, and making sure that those benefits are seen as part of the overall financial picture. You're listening to the Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Perez. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Patrick Guffey, who serves as CMIO and anesthesiologist at Children's Hospital, Colorado. Dr. Guffey, you've painted quite the picture of what a case in a manual OR environment might look like. Now, take us inside an OR with automated medication management. How does it look and how is the workflow different? So let's start from the beginning and, and go through what it looks like when you come into an operating room and you have this technology in place. So the first thing you've done is you've bypassed the need to go down uh, to the pharmacy, right? And you have everything you need in the room and ready to go. So you walk in, you log into the cart, you select your patient uh, from the list. And then from that point, you can select the drugs that you need to take out. You've got all of the narcotics locked in uh, slots, so there's no counting. So like in my organization, for instance, if I select a vial of fentanyl, and then in our narcotic drawer, I'll open it up, and there's only one vial of fentanyl there. So physicians aren't, aren't always the greatest at counting. So this takes that air out of the mix. And it really gives me a lot of confidence in our inventory control because I know that I've now got a vial of fentanyl, the system's recorded it, and that's assigned to that patient. So then I'm going to take that vial and run it under a label scanner and generate a machine printed label in color that allows me to label the syringe. And then I'll prepare the medication and draw it up in the syringe and I'm ready to use it uh, for the case. So I might repeat that a few times for the uh, drugs that I need to do the case. At the end of the case, I'll tell the AWS what I gave, how much I gave, and what I'm wasting. I'll print out a receipt, take the actual syringes, and then put them in the uh, bag. We make sure to swap off the needles with uh, little caps to protect our pharmacy staff. And then I've got a return bin mounted right on the machine that I can then put that drug into, and I'm done. So I don't have to go find a friend to waste drug with me, and we all know how really reliable that process even is, I've been able to do it all myself in a very time uh, expedient fashion with a lot of accuracy built in. So if we think about that for a second, let's look at it in terms of you know some of the things that can go wrong. One of the things I talked about before is I serve on the American Society of Anesthesiologists Anesthesia Quality Institute uh, board of directors, and over the years have seen case reports come in of some of the things that have gone wrong in operating rooms. Now, here's the interesting thing. Many of those reports that come into the system are medication-related. And you've seen cases where you know patients may have been administered drugs for the wrong patient. We've seen issues with sorting and matching up all of this, getting the right drug available on the right pump. And manual workflows essentially put a lot of pressure on the OR team to accomplish all of this without any 
benefit of technology. So that's really a critical marker that we see. And that's also you know, what we talked about before in terms of diversion. With this new workflow, when I'm putting a syringe into the external return bin and it's being locked up securely, there are less what you might call failure modes or ways that drug uh, can be diverted and not reliably detected. So we feel like that that's a really important point that by tying this all up with a level of automation and really security, we know that this practitioner removed this vial from this device and used it on this patient and then took the waste and put it in a bin, which is returned to pharmacy and analyzed. So you can imagine that's very different from I got it out of a bag. I drew it up, I wrote a bunch of things down on a paper form, and I returned all of the narcotics for the entire day back to pharmacy in that same bag with all of that manual uh, calculation. So we're confident that that automated workflow addresses a number of those failure modes that we talked about. Wow, that's quite a contrast between the manual and automated processes. Now, the term I've heard you use, you did it before, to characterize the automated OR or contrasting that with the manual is reliability. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that term? Sure, and really it's high reliability. So you can design a process that's high quality, and we've all, many of us have done that uh, through our work. But the question is, is how often is that process, that high quality process carried out in a reliable fashion? And my own bias is, is that if you want a process to be carried out at high reliability, or in other words, not just reliable, but every time this is how we do it, then it's really important to apply, really it's the application of technology that allows you to do that. And let's think of some industries, right? Uh, air travel in terms of the safety of getting on an airliner. We don't really worry about that now compared to the past. When you get on a plane, you assume that it's going to fly to its destination and land. Now, they may lose your luggage, for instance, or you may get delayed, but the actual safety of the flight itself is a highly reliable process. Nuclear power is another example of a highly reliable industry rather than a, a process. So what we're striving for here is that it's done the same way in a reliable fashion and also in a fashion that produces a high quality result. And it's just important to note that those are really two different things. It's, you can get it right with a single patient on a single day, but what we're looking for is for that provider to get it right on every patient for years without an error. And doing that without technology is a pretty difficult thing to do, uh, as you can imagine for all the reasons that we, that we talked about. So make the contrast, right? You're going and getting a bag of medications versus you're working from a cart where you select and identify the patient and then it's doling you out narcotic in an individual, you know, a par level of one, for instance. So much more reliable control of those medications through this process. So you've got a much improved chain of custody. You've got significantly improved documentation and all of that leads to really reduced waste, better inventory control and better safety for the providers, knowing that we're going to be able to detect if that provider is diverting in a more reliable fashion. So I think you're I think you're right. You know, when you talk about that, Ken, that it's really reliability that comes into play here, 
because anybody can design a high quality process for one patient. How do you do it for all patients? I think that's really what this boils down to. Well, thanks for that elaboration. Very, very helpful. So in our audience, I'm sure that we have pharmacy leaders who are motivated and ready to partner on automating the OR. So what are your recommendations for getting the OR and hospital leadership on board with such an initiative? Really, I think the first thing is, is to really talk to the group. So there's a couple ways to do this. You'll see some hospitals where they come through and say, we're going to do this. And then getting a hold of the anesthesia group or the periop team is really the last result or the last step in the process. And really what we're looking for is to start and make sure that we're being inclusive from the beginning, going to all stakeholders and letting them know that we're considering making this change, maybe highlighting some places that have done this well, that uh, are places that they may have known and heard of where they can talk to people at those sites is one way to really get this off the ground. But just making sure that we're inclusive, right? So the first the first step in change management really is just creating your burning platform and talking to people about why it's important to be able to do this. The second is identify from that work, you'll be able to identify a handful of anesthesiologists that are really excited about this and that are gonna be advocates for you. Think of those also down the road as your super users and then ask them to help you because this will really help with the buy-in. So if you can get those super users and you can get the kind of the leadership of that group together with the hospital team kind of formed a core committee or group that can work through this. And then that's going to help get other people on board. But the other way I've seen this done that's less effective is it'll, it'll come down from administration that we're going to do this and they find one person in the group uh, to help them do it and then they roll it out without a lot of conversation or change. So I think it's really important to be inclusive through that process. The next thing is, is think about the benefits that we talked about and make sure those are uh, being uh, talked about with the group in a transparent manner. So first are the safety aspects, the safety aspects to the patients, which is what we all think of first, and that's definitely the right thing to do, but also think about the safety to the staff and really be willing to talk about that and have that conversation as we have here today. And that ties to security. Access is another big one. You know, compliance is interesting. Compliance is something that we all have to do. The question is, how do you make it easy for people to do? Because you're not getting out of it, whether it's a paper process or whether it's an electronic process, but being compliant with all of the necessary regulations is certainly easier with technology as we've talked about uh, today. So really defining that, because you'll find some places where the manual process may not be compliant uh, with all of the regulations in a reliable way, so if you're, going to, if you're going to set that as a baseline that we have to meet those needs, then you can show how technology can make that easier rather than just twisting the screws on a manual process that's more difficult. Humans make mistakes every day. That's part of the human condition. So technology can help us eliminate those mistakes from reaching the patient or reaching the process is one way to think of it. And that's where talking about that openly is a way to help with buy-in. So the next thing is, is to talk about that this is not new technology. Uh, as you said before, you can look at it one of two ways, Ken. So half of U.S. hospitals don't have this, but half of U.S. hospitals do have this. So that's one thing to play up because who doesn't want to be part of that group, right, that's growing? So now that we've reached that threshold, you can definitely use that as a benefit to say that this is a proven 
process and proven technology that's in use across the country. So it makes sense at that point to, uh, to talk about that and that'll help alleviate some fears. The next one is with any technology project, you're gonna have objections and you're gonna have people that are very concerned about change. So one way to handle that is you have your super users that we talked about before, your advocates, pair them off with people that are concerned. Usually there's a relationship there that you can leverage with somebody and have those conversations for as long as you need and let people get comfortable with what we're doing. Talk about the fact that there's improved medication availability. You can also talk about, talk about how there is typically an emergency access button to the device. So if there's a power failure or a network failure, you can get into the device without an issue. And those are some, those are some things people think of and if you, don't pull it, if you don't pull it out of them through conversation, they'll harbor it, and then you'll just wonder why you have people objecting. So it's really important to get to the root cause of why the person's objecting, and a lot of times you'll find you already had a solution to their objection. The question is, was it communicated in a way that they're comfortable with? The other one is, change is hard. I, you know, just speaking personally, I'm one of those rare birds that probably uh, finds change to be exciting and more of a uh, interesting challenge. But there's a lot of people out there where change results in a emotional reaction uh, that results in some fear. So it's really important to just acknowledge that and that we have to work together to move past that and how the benefits of making the change outweigh the cost and the uh, level of the uncomfortableness that comes from that. You know, story on that, we were implementing our EHR I remember a anesthesiologist that came to me about three months before we went live and he or she said, how do you expect me to document this highly complex liver transplant that I did last night in your electronic system? And we talked about it and went through it and said, yes, there's change here. Well, about three months after we went live, we had a downtime, an unexpected downtime, and we lost the system for a period of time. And that same, that same anesthesiologist came back to me and said, well, how do you expect me to document this, you know, complex liver transplant without the benefit of the EHR? And I was, I was, you know, thunderstruck for a second there because that was just six months when we had a conversation that this person was saying it was going to be really difficult to do. So while change is hard, once people get used to it and understand the benefits from it and see it firsthand, a lot of those objections will fade away. So I guess the final thought I would have is keep the faith through the process because you're going to hear objections, but you'll work through them and you'll come out in a better place on the other side. Well, those are great insights and really good recommendations. You mentioned buy-in a number of times, and so I had a final question here. Is there anything else you want to say in terms of an approach that you'd recommend to, to maximize that adoption? And I love that story you just shared, but is there anything else you'd like to advise and suggest uh, to, to maximize adoption? I would say the first thing to do is to start with observation. If you look at your current process, and if it's a manual process, really look and, and write down all of the things that can go wrong. And then that can really create that burning platform. That'll allow you to go back to the group for that first thoughtful conversation and say, these are all the things we're seeing that go that go wrong on a daily basis. This is the amount of time you're spending documenting things on paper, pharmacy coming back and saying that you, you've got it wrong and you need to redo it because your math didn't add up, for instance. 
So I think finding those things and highlighting them is critical. And then taking that back to the group and identifying those champions that are going to help you lead through it and talking about how you can make it better. The second thing is to really think about those patient safety aspects. Like we were talking about before, the case reports that have uh, come in, we have seen in cases where the wrong drug is administered, call that a syringe swap. We've seen cases where not having immediate availability to the drugs you need can cause care delays. And we've also seen cases where drugs have been given to the wrong patient even, or, or used on multiple patients. And dealing with medication on a per patient basis without you know, using vials between patients or other things, things like that, leads to a safer environment. So really it's what do you need for that specific anesthetic? And then making sure that you waste all of the medications for that specific anesthetic before moving on uh, to the next one. So that's really an important thing to do. And then the third thing would be not to be afraid of having that conversation about diversion and staff safety and going through and talking about how allowing faster detection of diversion and also the benefits of that external locking bin and how you can waste yourself in a more reliable way. Those are really critical benefits that are overlooked and it's important to have those conversations. So I would start with those three things in addition to what we've talked about. Well, Dr. Geffy, I'm afraid we've run out of time. I, I wanna thank you so much for sharing your insights, which I'm sure pharmacy leaders listening to this program have found valuable and reassuring. And I'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for joining us today. For the Future of Pharmacy podcast and for OmniCell, I'm Ken Perez. Thanks for listening. Thank you for having me. This has been the Future of Pharmacy podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. Until next time, don't get stuck in the clouds. The Future of Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by OmniCell.